the U.S. imposing new restrictions on Chinese tourists, the rules outlining what's needed to board flights to America, Beijing taking aim at Washington's COVID-19 entry rules for arriving Chinese passengers, saying there's no scientific basis behind the U.S. decision. On the other hand, a leaked confidentiality notice from a funeral home in China, asking families to affirm that their deceased did not die of COVID-19. The U.S. House banning TikTok from all its devices, with some lawmakers calling for a nationwide block on the China-owned video app. And Russia and China continue strengthening their ties, a joint drill just finished in the Pacific, aiming at Taiwan. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. The U.S. is imposing restrictions on passengers from China. Starting January 5th, all passengers from China need one of two items to be able to board a plane to the U.S. A negative COVID-19 test or documentation of recovery. The move comes as several countries place restrictions on tourists from China. On Tuesday, Beijing said it would soon allow Chinese citizens to travel abroad. This as the virus cases inside China hit an all-time high and with hospitals and funeral homes overflowing. U.S. carriers are also weighing their options. United Airlines said it's evaluating when to add more flights to China. Right now, the number of flights between the U.S. and China are kept at 12 per side per week. That's about 7 percent of the number of flights pre-pandemic. Some of China's neighbors are already on the move. Taiwan plans to start testing visitors from mainland China for the virus starting January. The new year is fast approaching, and the island is expecting tens of thousands of mainland Chinese tourists. Further north, Japan says it will require all travelers from China to go through virus testing starting at the end of this month. Those who test positive must quarantine for seven days. Japan is also limiting flights to and from China. South Korea is expected to announce new measures for Chinese travelers this Friday, while India is already testing travelers from nations, including China. It's also bracing for a new wave of virus cases. Hospitals across India are doing drills to prepare for possible scenarios. In Europe, Italy is testing all Chinese travelers for the CCP virus, which causes COVID-19. That's after it found half of the passengers on two flights to Milan were infected. Italy is also performing virus sequencing to check for possible new variants. Health officials say they may impose stricter rules if a new strain is found. In Germany, a politician is calling for the suspension of flights between China and the European Union. On the other hand, Beijing is not pleased with the COVID-19 entry rules for Chinese travelers. On Wednesday, China's foreign ministry said there should be a scientific basis for implementing COVID-19 rules for travelers from China. In explanation, U.S. officials cite mounting concerns about China's ongoing COVID-19 surge and the lack of transparent data from Chinese officials. Chinese authorities have been reluctant to release data since the pandemic began. That's including how many are infected, have entered ICUs, or died. It also stopped publishing genome sequencing in 2020. On Monday, Chinese officials reported the country's first COVID-19 death in a week. The figure is inconsistent with the experience of much less populous countries after they reopened. 
Plus, unofficial and eyewitness reports say hospitals and funeral homes in the country are overwhelmed. Along that line, the World Health Organization said recently it's too early to declare the pandemic over. The organization's director says too many uncertainties still remain on the table. We continue to call on China to share the data and conduct the studies we have requested and which we continue to request. As I have said many times before, all hypotheses about the origins of this pandemic remain on the table. On Monday, China started to ease curbs on its borders, which have been largely shut since 2020. That's despite a major COVID-19 wave spreading in the country. We'll keep you updated as the situation develops. As the sweeping COVID-19 outbreak worsens in mainland China, some say Chinese Communist Party officials are trying to keep it quiet. Let's look at a recent report. On December 27th, China's National Health Commission said there were no large numbers of deaths during its so-called first wave of infections. But videos leaking from mainland China tell a different story. Some Chinese netizens leaked an emergency notice from a funeral home in Beijing. It was issued on December 19th. It forbids anyone from accepting interviews from media or any organization and forbids discussions about or the leaking of funeral home data or working conditions. It also prohibits filming and taking photos or sending work-related information via WeChat, email, Weibo, or other social media platforms. The notice says if anyone doesn't obey, serious consequences will follow. Right now, some people in China must sign a special confidentiality contract. That's if they want services from funeral homes. Shown in a photo online, a notice is being circulated by a facility there, asking families to confirm that their deceased did not die of COVID-19. But some are raising doubts. Here's what one Chinese resident had to say. China will open again on January 8th to connect with the world. But the domestic epidemic is so serious, it has to cover up this serious situation. He questions whether authorities are covering up the true death toll from the current outbreak. As COVID-19 infections skyrocket in China, a large number of famous performers have been reported dead. Some of them known to have participated in the Chinese Communist Party's or CCP's propaganda efforts. That includes the director of the opera troupe at the China Opera and Dance Theater, a state-owned institution. The singer performed in a number of well-known CCP propaganda operas, including playing the role of Mao Zedong a co-founder and former leader of the CCP. Likewise, an actor who also took the stage as a former top CCP official died over the weekend. And on Tuesday, yet another actor passed away. He starred in multiple well-known Chinese movies, praising what Beijing calls the greatness of the party. A Chinese artist commented on the situation. Although these performers enjoy certain benefits in the CCP system, they are not in the elite class. They cannot live in special wards. They have to go to the pharmacy to grab medicine, and they cannot jump the waiting lines at funeral homes for services after they die. While they whitewashed the CCP's crimes, they didn't realize that they and their families are also victims and cannot escape their fate. Chinese media reports that the performers died of illnesses, but didn't give specifics. One report simply mentioned that one of the above actors started coughing days before his death. 
popular China-owned video app TikTok now banned from all devices managed by the U.S. House of Representatives. The move imitates a law soon to go into effect, outlawing the app from U.S. government devices. Here's why. The House stated the app is considered high risk due to a number of security issues and must be deleted from all devices managed by it. The new rule follows a series of moves by U.S. state governments to ban TikTok from government devices. As of last week, 19 states have at least partially blocked the app from state-managed devices. There are fears that the Chinese regime could use the app to track Americans and censor content. The U.S. House sent a message to staff saying anyone with TikTok on their device would be contacted about removing it and future downloads of the app were prohibited. U.S. lawmakers have put forward a proposal to implement a nationwide ban on the app. Australia is greenlighting a request from Washington to extradite former U.S. Marine Corps pilot Daniel Dugan to the United States. Dugan was arrested in Australia back in October and remains in custody. He's accused of breaking U.S. arms control laws. According to a 2017 indictment unsealed in December, Dugan gave military training to Chinese pilots through a South African flight school. He did so on three occasions in 2010 and 2012, while he was a U.S. citizen. He's also accused of providing aviation services in China, evaluating Chinese military pilot trainees, and giving instruction for landing on aircraft carriers. Dugan faces four U.S. charges, including conspiracy to export defense services to China and conspiracy to launder money. Dugan's lawyer has said Dugan was an Australian citizen who renounced his U.S. citizenship and that he denies breaking any law. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation reports the case would go before a magistrate in January, though Dugan has avenues to appeal. Australian Attorney General Mark Dreyfus and his office did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Two superpowers strengthening their ties in the Pacific. Russia and China completed a joint naval exercise on Wednesday near Taiwan in the East China Sea. Here's more on the week-long drill. The exercises included a drill on capturing enemy submarines with depth charges as well as firing artillery at warships. It was called the Maritime Interaction 2022 and was carried out in waters off China's Zhejiang province. This is a province close to Taiwan and Japan. The Russian Defense Ministry published video showing a group of Russian and Chinese warships in the East China Sea. It also showed Russian sailors speaking in Mandarin to their Chinese counterparts. According to Russian media, Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping is due to speak to President Vladimir Putin before the end of the year. Indonesia is approving a new criminal code, one that features a special provision to ban communist and Marxist-Leninist propaganda. Experts are calling it part of a global trend to reject the Chinese communist regime. The provision was passed on December 6th. Under it, those found to spread communism and Marxism-Leninism can face jail terms from 4 to 15 years. At the lesser end of that range, a four-year maximum sentence is set for those who distribute or promote communism orally or in writing or media. That penalty jumps to seven years if those acts cause social disturbances or property damage. If they lead to personal injury or death, those found guilty face the full 12 to 15 years. 
Current affairs commentator Ching Peng explains that most nations are unwilling to directly and openly confront the Chinese Communist Party. That's for fear of economic or security concerns. But he adds that more are guarding against Beijing's influence. Indonesia strictly prohibits the sickle, hammer, red flag and other imagery that symbolizes communism. Malaysia, another Southeast Asian nation, also bans the promotion of communism. Japan is working to reduce dependence on China, the country now mining for rare earth minerals from deep beneath the ocean. Rare earths make much of today's cutting-edge technology possible, like smartphones, computers and electric vehicles. China currently controls the majority of these critical minerals. While Japan imports nearly all that it uses, a whopping 60 percent of that comes from China. Here's how the nation is trying to change that. Deep sea is considered anywhere that's at least 650 feet underwater. That's a little more than the height of the Washington Monument. The area where Japan is trying to extract rare earth metals is nearly 20,000 feet underwater. This is about the length of the Las Vegas Strip. The water pressure at this depth is so high, it's like having the weight of an elephant on every square inch of your body. Japanese researchers believe there could be decades upon decades of rare earth minerals in the area they want to mine. Though Japan is not the only country with access to underwater rare earth minerals, the United States also has deposits off both the west and east coasts. And not just that, between Hawaii and Mexico lies the Carrion Clipperton Zone, one of the biggest untouched troves of underwater rare earth metals. Unlike in Japan, these are around 13,000 feet below the surface. This is mildly better, so being down there would be like a rhinoceros instead of an elephant pressed on every square inch of your body. And many companies want to mine there. The International Seabed Authority, a United Nations organization, has given 16 exploration licenses for contractors to mine in the area. Coming up, comments from NBA player Ennis Cantor Freedom. He sat down with Yania Kellick, host of American Thought Leaders, to talk about his firsthand experiences with censorship in the NBA and how it played out in his career on the court. I talk about the problems that were happening in Turkey. They did not even call me once. Adam Silver, the commissioner of NBA, texted me twice and said, we got your back, keep doing what you're doing. I talk about the problems that were happening in China. My phone was ringing once every hour. The biggest dictatorship in the world can control a 100% American-made organization, put pressure on them to fire an American citizen. But the more I talk to some people, the more I have done research, I was like, NBA is not the only one. You see Hollywood, you see big techs, you see academias, you see Wall Street, you see Congress and local congresses, they are pretty much try to invade America from the inside because they know they're not strong enough to invade America from the outside. More on that after the break here on China in Focus. Till my second year in, in MBA, I really didn't care about anything but just playing basketball having fun with my teammates, and pretty much it was it. You know, that was my whole life. Um, and then back in 2013, it was my third year in the league, uh, there was a big corruption scandal happening in Turkey. President Erdogan and some of his family members were involved in it. I was following the news. After he got caught, 
he was going around and putting innocent people in jail, jail, journalists, you know, persecutors, judges, and people who owns media outlets. So as an NBA player, I wasn't even like educated about the situation. So I just put a tweet out there. It became a conversation in the United States, in Turkey, and in many other other countries around the world. And I was like, even one simple tweet can affect this much. I was like, from now on, I'm gonna start to you know educate myself and study about what's going on. So I remember after that moment, going forward, my teammates were going out, having fun, going out to clubs and bars, whatever. So I was going back to my house. I started to study. I was studying that the things are happening between America and Turkey, what's happening in the Middle East, um, the politic, I guess, st structure in, in Turkey and stuff. The more I study, the more I realize I need to talk about these issues. So I end up like writing op-eds to one of the biggest, I guess, newspapers in the world. I started to give interviews. I started to, you know, sit down and meet with some people and stuff. So the things that are happening in my country, I was very vocal about it because it's human rights. It seems pretty clear why you're thinking a lot about the reality in Turkey, but what, what turned you on to the reality in China? So the last 10 years, I talk about the problems were happening in Turkey. Just last summer, I'm doing a basketball camp in New York. I remember taking a picture with this kid and his parents literally like right there, uh, like a couple feet away. And he said, how can you call yourself a human rights activist? when your Muslim brothers and sisters are getting tortured and raped every day in concentration camp in China. I'm still smiling for the camera, for the kid. And I was like, I was shocked because he literally called me out in front of everybody. The media was there, um, a lot of my friends were there, kids were there, parents, everybody. And I took the picture with this kid and I turned around and I was like, I promise I want to get back to you. So that day I canceled everything. I went back to my hotel. I started to study about what's going on. The more I studied, the more I was ashamed with myself. I was like, I cannot believe the last 10 years I was just focusing on one dictatorship. Once you're going to talk about some of the like important issues around the world, you have to know if they are facts or not, if they are fake news or real news, you know? So I called my manager that night. I was like, I need you to find me a concentration camp survivor. So he found one. It was a lady. So we sit down and we had one hour conversation. She was telling me about uh, all the torture methods. She was telling me about the gang raping. She was telling me about um, organ harvesting, forced sterilization and abortion. Actually, how many people are in there, she told me. And actually, how many people are getting killed in those concentration camps. At the end of our one hour conversation, I asked her, okay, how can I help you? She said, I'm good, I don't need your help. I don't want you to help me. And I stopped for a second, I'm like, what are you talking about? So we just had this one hour conversation for no reason. She said, no, she said, I'm good. I'm in America, I can go wherever I want, I can do, say whatever I want, I can eat whatever I want. Don't help me, help those people in concentration camps. So I started to study, I started to talk people. And one topic, you jump onto an, another one because once you do, you focus on Uyghurs and then there's other links pops out. Then you click on the what ha what's happening in Tibet. 
Then you click on what's happening in Hong Kong. Then you see Taiwan, then Falun Gongs, then Mongolians. I was like, wow. And you see the only thing that, that I couldn't see, that I didn't see, there's not one celebrity. Forget about athletes, singers, rappers, actors, whoever you are, you know, that are not talking about this country. They talk about all the other problems. They talk about Iran, Saudi Arabia. They talk about Russia. They talk about North Korea. But when it comes to China, they're silent. I was like, wow, okay, I guess that's, that's my job from now on. Why do you think there's this deafening silence around the CCP and not these others? So, well, I'll give you an example on, from my story. So I remember when I obviously grew up as a huge NBA fan, huge Lakers fan, actually. Uh, if the Celtics fans hear it, they're going to be mad at me. But So whenever I watched an NBA game, the first thing I was watching was the shoes. What color are the shoes that, that those, these players are wearing? what brand it is, if it's comfortable. The next day I was waking up and telling my dad, please buy those shoes for me. So I come up with this idea. I was like, let's find these artists around the world who's been oppressed by their government. And let's reach out to them and ask them to create these shoes for us, non-slave labor shoes, that we're gonna put all the struggles, all the violations, everything on the shoes. What's happening in Tibet, Hong Kong, Taiwan, Uyghurs, organ harvesting, surveillance cameras, uh, concentration camps. So I remember my first game, it was the Celtics against the Knicks at Madison Square Garden, opening night for New York, national TV on ESPN. So the whole country was watching it. It was the perfect moment. And my first topic was free Tibet. So I put the shoes on, I went out there, I started to warm up. A minute before the game, the game hasn't started yet. The minute before the game, two gentlemen came from the Celtics. They were working for the NBA. They said, you got to take your shoes off. And I was very confused. I'm like, what are you talking about? Because I did a lot of research that there, were, there is no rule against, against it. Two years ago, when they put us in the NBA bubble, all the players were put, put on their shoes, Black Lives Matter, I Cannot Breathe, Brianna Taylor. I'm like, if that is the case, I can say free Tibet. I can say stand with Hong Kong. I can say stand with Taiwan. I can say, you know, uh, free Uyghurs, whatever. So they said, take your shoes off. I'm like, why? They said, your, your shoes has been getting so much attention internationally. It was from China, they, but they didn't say it was from China. I was like, okay, there are 27 amendments. My first amendment, freedom of speech. I told them, I'm not taking my shoes off. Even if I get fined, I'm not taking them off. And they said, we are not talking about a fine. We're talking about getting banned. I was like, wow. They're really threatening to ban me because of my shoes. So I didn't take them off, obviously. That half, first half of the game, I played zero minutes. I went back to my locker room. I looked at my phone. There was thousands of notifications. I clicked on the one that my manager sent me. He said, every Celtics game is banned in China. That clearly helped my case. That pretty much shows the dictatorship and the censorship that are happening and how scared they are. So that game, I played zero minutes, which I played every game before that. After the game, my phone was ringing. I talk about the problems were happening in Turkey. They did not even call me once. Adam Silver, the commissioner of NBA, texted me twice and said, 
We got your back. Keep doing what you're doing. I talk about the problems that were happening in China. My phone was ringing once every hour. To watch the full interview with Ennis Cantor Freedom, NBA player and human rights activist, please check out the American Thought Leaders program on APOC TV or click the link down below if you're watching online. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on this show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocus@ntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.